0: Thanks for checking out the citizens podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible church, and we meet on Sundays at 11am in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Well, thank you again, everybody for being here. Excited to be with you guys again. Uh, Just make sure I still know how to do this. Um, I'm excited to be with you guys, to be able to open up God's Word together. Uh, it's been a while, so excited to do that. Last time we were together, like I said, we were at the fall retreat, and we talked about uh, God and how He is limitless, right, and how He provides us life in abundance, how um, He offers us limitless forgiveness, um, how we are limited when He is not, um, and how there are limitless opportunities for you to go out and to share Uh, what he has done in your life and how he works in your life and today I think I think in some ways is attached to that latter session that we did there at the fall retreat and before that we talked about the book of Acts here together today is not going to be us starting a brand new series but us just taking some time to look over a few things spending some time you know, on theme with Thanksgiving coming up this week, uh, just looking over specifically a psalm, I think that is quite interesting here um, in the book of Chronicles, as a matter of fact. But uh, I do want to just recap a few things that you may have missed. I did maybe say this a few seconds ago, but I did go to Europe for the first time. Um, one of my favorite parts about it was the food. Right? I loved the food. I ate great food there. ate more food than I have eaten there in the last couple of days than I have maybe in the last month here. But it was amazing. Um, Nutella, everything as well. I had dessert with every meal, I think. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, it was incredible. Uh, and I came back just in time for Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving obviously notoriously known for uh, the good meals that you usually eat with your families. I did want to just start today by asking you a question this morning. Who here has any specific plans I guess of traveling for Thanksgiving? Anybody going out maybe of the state or maybe just going to a family's house? uh, Maybe close by but not too far? Okay not that many of you going anywhere. So Cool. <laughs> Amazing. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully you're still going to eat some good food. You guys will enjoy the company of your own families at your own homes. But what is your favorite, then let me ask you this, what is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? What is your favorite food that you eat at Thanksgiving, JB? Turkey? Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. I think that's, I'm in agreement with you. Chocolate pie? Chocolate pie. Interesting. Um, ham I like ham a lot um, I don't want to be that guy but ham is better than turkey um, in the back Seth green beans. green beans last one here Nathan go ahead Nathan what's your favorite yeah you were like this what's up man well, how you doing long time no see no you're Nathan right yeah, yeah yeah what's your favorite thing to eat at Thanksgiving mashed potatoes of course all right so There's a lot of good things to look forward to on Thanksgiving, one being the food. Obviously, you get to see relatives, spend time with your family. A lot of times you get to see people maybe that you don't get to see all that very often. Um, uh, It's nice. It's great to be around people that you love. It's great to have that fellowship. It's great to have that food. But today, I do want to talk about this idea of Thanksgiving and really um, why it's so important right, for us. Why thanksgiving should be um, something that we look forward to, but how it should not just be this holiday that we um, mark off on our calendars once a year, um, that we indulge in the, the, the giving of thanks, right, once a year. We dedicate one day a year to that. As opposed to that, we should be doing that daily. We should be giving thanks. We should be indulging in what is true worship, Um, And and in this text here, we're gonna be looking at um, what the prophet, most likely Ezra, said in the book of Chronicles. Whoever wrote it, um, the chronicler, pointed to a psalm that David wrote and this was written specifically I want to say 450 years before Christ and maybe 500 years after David. So a few years, several years, centuries after David had actually reigned and his kingship was in place and he had written this psalm. He writes again in this book to kind of cover some of the history of the Israelites. He's writing this book, First and Second Chronicles, which again should be together. It's one long book, if you could say so. But he covers God's redemption from the beginning of time, right? The, the creation of all things, he follows a historical gene, uh, genealogy. If you look at the first couple of books of First Corinthians, he's just saying S- he is the son of him, and the son of him, and the son of him, and he is the son of him, and he is the son. And it's a pretty interesting read if you want to read about all these different names. But he just keeps going on and on and on until he finally gets to David. And he starts to talk about the, David, uh, the rule of David and how one of the first things David did was to restore the Ark of the Covenant to its rightful place. The audience that he is writing to here is the the Jewish people that have left now the captivity to the Babylonians, and he writes all the way to that point. Right, he traces that history all the way back to present day. And here in this chapter, in chapter sixteen, that we're going to be looking at, he presents um, he presents this rich history for those who have now returned. To their nation. But as you would imagine, perhaps, these people that were in captivity for years under the Babylonians now leave and now have their own nation again. And yet, of course, it's not how they would have ever assumed it to be or ever imagined it to be. It's nowhere near what it was like in the past. Usually, right? If you uh, go away, right? We, like I said, <laughs> we were just on a trip not too long ago. But if I left my house and I only came back ten years later and just left it vacated, it's probably going to be no bueno. In the same way, these people had are coming back to nothing. They've been away for years. they They don't have any. They don't have anything. They, they, all the things that they have now are, you know, no longer the same. They are deteriorated. They don't have what they had before. All the all the all the glory you would say that they were once known for or had they didn't have right the walls that they had to protect them they no longer had that they no longer had a temple to worship in they left captivity and came back to nothing essentially this mighty and great nation was no longer the same and although they tried to replace some of these things the standard just wasn't what it once was despite their construction and reconstruction trying to get back to the place that they once were. The nation of Israel, they were still frail, still weak. They didn't, they didn't have the resources um, available to them to to get back to that place in comparison, especially to the time of King David and King Solomon, his son. And they wondered again, uh, will we ever reach those heights once more? Are we ever gonna get back to that mighty nation that we once were, right? The people knew who we were. They feared us because they feared God. And, Would we ever restore our kind of position culturally, um, socially with other people in surrounding nations like we did in the past with our ancestors? You know, a lot of times we think about that too, like, you know, over time things change and we look back at history and and think of, oh, if it was like this, or back in the day it used to be like this, what's happened to our nation? Or maybe on the other end, you've grown and things have improved, but we have a tendency to look back and sometimes if we look back at history, things kind of deteriorate and you you, you kind of look back fondly at history and wish it was like that. And that's what they're doing. They, they, they're wishing, and they're hoping, and they're wondering, will we ever attain those things again? Will things ever get to that place again? They knew what was happening because they were being judged, and they understood that. And yet that didn't keep them from wondering if they would ever reach those glory days again. And as you look at now the history found in these texts, What's being written here is written to encourage them. The the author here is writing what he is writing in in the book of Chronicles because he wants to remind them of the truths of God, of who he is, to look at the history and look at their experiences and see what God has done to to show them God is still the same. Obviously, things don't look quite the same right now, but... God has not changed. And the God that was our nation's God years ago is the same God that is still alive and reigning today. And our foundation and and the basis of our faith is in that God. And he is consistent, everlasting, unchanging. And he is with us now. And this reassured them or hopefully would reassure them of those things, not only now, but for also the future. Looking forward with hope. Knowing that, okay, well, God has done all these things. God will continue to do these things for us because of who he is. Because of his promises. Because he, because he is a, a God who is truthful and, and faithful to his word. Because of the experiences that we have gone through. How God has led us through right, as he's recounting from the beginning of time to their captivity, how God has led them through different opposition, how God has guided them and led them and and blessed them. He reassures them with these words all the way up to uh, the coming Messiah. And in chapter 16, again, Ezra is continuing to remind them of what God has done over time, how he's blessed them and blessed their nation And specifically here in chapter 16, he talks about an extraordinary day and time period in the nation's history. He's talking about, again, as I pointed out earlier, the day in which the Ark of the Covenant returned to Jerusalem. So before King David was king, of course, there was a king uh, before him named Saul, and things were not going very good. The Ark of the Covenant which represented the presence of God, was away from Jerusalem. It was not where it belonged. And this symbolized really God's displeasure with the nation. And when God puts David in position to lead the people, um, one of the first things that he does is say, no, we need to have the Ark of the Covenant back where it needs to be. We need to go retrieve it and restore it to its rightful place in Jerusalem. So what David does is he prepares a place for it. tabernacle which is essentially a tent it's a it's a it's a moving edification essentially if that makes sense it's something that you can set up and and take apart and move to a different location if necessary but it's something that's not necessarily bound to one place he sets up a tabernacle for the ark of the covenant and in chapter in chapter 13 he starts to talk about this whole thing leading up to chapter 16 He talks about in chapter 13 that they actually go and try to retrieve it, and they carry it wrongly, and the the guy touches it and falls dead immediately because there was special instruction in a way that you should carry this. There uh, There was a correct way to do so, specific standards for transportation. So this man named Uzzah, he dies. Anyways, as you continue to read and see in chapter 16, finally they place it in the tent. Um, and his presence was in their midst. And here, in verse 8, we then start to read the psalm that they sang. The ark was now back in its place. King David was king. And things were great. This was one of the most um, fruitful times of, uh, of this nation's existence and in, in history. Things were going very good for the nation of Israel during um, David's reign, especially during this time here. And what the people did was they thanked God. They praised God, the God of Israel. They praised him with loud praise, with instruments. They sang. They had an abundance of food. They had a plethora of burnt offerings that they offered to God. Um, and they celebrated this glorious day. The people were rejoicing and giving thanks. And I do not to say this is like the first Thanksgiving or anything, but it kind of resembles or looks like maybe somewhat what you do or you should do or what Thanksgiving should look like. Right, you get together, you have fellowship, you, you enjoy each other's company, you have a, 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 an abundance of food that you can enjoy and have a meal um, with the people that you love. But also, again, remembering who has given you all of those things. They remembered or understood and saw how God had been so good to them. And what they decided to do was to praise him for it, To worship him for his goodness. And in verse 8, they start to sing this song. All the way to verse 36 is what we're going to be reading today. But... If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, it should be on the screen. In light of this upcoming week, I do want to look at the song of thanks that we see here and look at specific commands to worship and give thanks and followed with a few reasons to why they obeyed it, why they did it, and then it concludes with this request. So immediately here in verse 8, as you're reading, you see this call to praise. It says this, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. You see here in these verses what it looks like to praise and to give thanks. You see here the spirit behind thanksgiving. And what it's all about. And not necessarily when I say Thanksgiving. I don't want you to think just specifically the holiday. But Thanksgiving. What it means to uh, give thanks. David, he lists several different um, ways, right? Remarkable ways as to why one should praise and glorify God. He says, firstly, that they were to speak directly to God, right? Uh, Singing psalms to him. To, again, also speak to others about God's greatness. To make his deeds known. And then also have a conversation with oneself, to recount, to recall. He says in verse 12, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. Remember. That's something that we have an awfully difficult time doing. We don't remember or talk about God sufficiently or or even close to enough. Uh, let, me, let me quickly do an exercise here with you, and I want you to try to be as honest as you possibly can here with yourself this morning. When was the last time that you talked about God with somebody else? When was the last time you had a conversation and God comes up in the conversation? Naturally. You're talking, and all of a sudden you start talking about God, what he's done in your life, what he's doing in your life, or what his word says. Ask yourself, and even while you're here at church. While you're here at church, when's the last time you naturally have a conversation about God? I'm not talking about like small groups, right? I was talking about D groups earlier and how we get in those groups, and you're prompted with a question. You're asked to talk about God. I'm not talking about that. That doesn't. Not that that's not good, that's amazing. I'm I'm grateful that you're putting yourself in a position to talk about God and put yourself in a place to have the discussions, but organically, naturally, when was the last time you decided to talk about God? When you shared it with your friend? It's so incredible to me, because I don't know why it's so difficult for us to do sometimes. And it's really not as easy for us to explain why that's the case. Why we're so hesitant as Christians to talk about the best things. We talk about everything and anything. We talk about sports. Hey, did you catch the game yesterday? Crazy. Jokic got another triple-double for the 5,000th time. Oh, did you see the game? Did you see the show last night? Oh, have you watched this? Or, hey, hey, do you see what she's wearing? Or do you see the shoes he got? You talk about your crushes in school. You talk about anything that you want, the things that you care about. You guys talk about so much, and I myself am guilty of doing the same thing. We talk about even church. We talk about worship. We talk about the music. We talk about the organization. You may talk about me. Like, oh, I like how he does this. I don't like how he does that. Oh, why does he look like that? Or, man, why does he grow out his hair like John Lennon? I don't know. You might be talking about whatever. But you're not talking about God. We, 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 for some reason, have this shyness to talk about God and what he has done and who he is, and we just don't do it. So again, think to yourself, when was the last time you did it? Right? When we even went to the fall retreat. Hey, what did you think about the fall retreat? The answer you might give is, oh, I thought it was fun. Oh, it was good. Oh, the sleeping was not great. I didn't get much sleep. Or, oh, yeah, the jokes were insane. Yeah, a little edgy, probably too edgy. Um, but, um, oh, yeah, this was fun. Oh, d- oh, that was great. The food was what- well, was whatever. Oh, the speaker, he was really excited. He was great. Oh, I can't wait to see him again. And yet, we, we never really mention what God actually taught us or what God is working and doing in our hearts. That, that's not what we talk about. Why is that the case? Why do we have such a hesitancy of of doing that? We're quick to talk about everything but God and his wonderful works when in reality what we should do is often speak less and talk more of him. There's this quote from Charles Spurgeon that says this, all the good that we enjoy comes from God. Recollect that, meaning remember that. Alas, most men forget it. Roland Hill used to say that worldlings were like the hogs under the oak, which eat the acorns but never think of the oak from which they fell, nor lift up their heads to grunt out of thanksgiving. Yes, so it is. They munch, they munch the gift and murmur at the giver. Roland Hill here is an, uh, an English uh, aristocrat, he is a teacher. And he is most likely referencing with what he says here, uh, the work of a Russian author named Ivan Krivlov. And he wrote a poem named The Pig Under the Oak. I'm gonna read it to you really quick because again, this is the roots of what he is quoting um, here, Charles Spurgeon. This This is the poem, The Pig Under the Oak. Under the huge old oak, a pig with acorns, has eaten herself quite fill, then has a nap in its shadow, nice and still, awoke and began around the roots to dig, and the raven from the oak said, you're doing bad. With naked roots, the tree may die. So what, the pig answered. Why ought I at all to care about that? I only need the acorns to get fat. Ungrateful pig, the oak said to her. If you could ever only rise your snout and look about and up, then you could see that all these corns are growing on me. The people of Israel at that point, after seeing where they were, they recognized the necessity to praise God because they realized our enemies have been conquered. David is now king. The ark is where it belongs. God is with us. They remembered who was responsible for all of those things. It wasn't them. It wasn't David. It was God. And a lot of the times things happen in our lives and things are going great. And yet God is the last one you ever think of or choose to give thanks to. You kind of just coast your life, take it for granted, and never really appreciate it unless things go awry. When things go bad, oh, well, it's God's fault. But when things are going great, when, 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 and even just in your day-to-day, we don't thank him, even for life, for giving us life that day, the things that we have. And these people recognized that everything that they had and everything they were going through was because of God, and because of that, they praised him. And that is true thanksgiving. True thanksgiving, it looks like this praising God enthusiastically with thanksgiving, singing his praises, honoring him, thanking him. That is worship, and that is what takes place when giving thanks. They remembered not only who he was, but they remembered his covenant, his promises. Verse 13, O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Again, this is a praise that is directed to the people of God. But nonetheless, all creation has, of course, the responsibility to praise its creator. But this is a special responsibility of God's people. He says this in verse 14. He is the uh, Lord our God and his judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. In the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, a covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which is confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying that to you I will give you the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance when you are few in number of little accountants, sojourners in it. We see here that they thanked him because he chose them to be his people for giving them covenant promises, promises that he made to Abraham and was later confirmed to Isaac and Jacob and the nation of Israel. Again, he remembers or they remember that these covenants are forever. God wanted his people to never forget the covenant that he made with them and this dates back to, again, Abraham regarding the land that he promised them, the nation, a messianic blessing that would come from them. He points back to the covenant made with the nation of Israel regarding the law, sacrifice, the choice of blessing or cursing, Uh, the covenant made with David regarding the specific lineage of the Messiah. And even for us today, we can look back at the promises of God and how he has been faithful to them uh, up until this point and will continue to be faithful to all of his promises because of who he is Um, As we consider in our own Thanksgiving, the covenant that is extended to us, when we think back and we look at the covenant that he has made with us through his Son, the new covenant through Jesus Christ, something we remember every time we partake in the Last Supper and communion. Right When we look at Luke chapter 22, verse 20, right, we see that. As Jesus is instructing them the first time that ever happens, he says, And likewise, the cup... After they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you in, uh, for you is the new covenant in my blood. These promises are everlasting. The promises that God makes, they are for all time, despite maybe what you might even hear on the news today or in the world today, right? Regarding the land of Canaan, David highlights here the promises of the land that belonged to Abraham and his patriarch, the family of his, right? The people that would come after him, these biblical figures, right, regarding as the, uh, regarded as the fathers of our human race. Right? Scripture is clear that the land belonged to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through this covenant. And they thanked him for protection as well. God had protected him and his people and they recognized that they had not only been chosen, but they would have been kept until the fulfillment of his promises. Verse 20, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked the kings of their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Again, the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant is recorded in Second Samuel. And this psalm of David is not included, yet here we see that The writer he does include it, uh, and it's interesting that he does include this uh, verse here, verse twenty, because he's speaking to the people that have just left uh, Babylonian exile, people that have been captive. Right, they're they're singing this, they're seeing that. Well, God has protected His people. You have not been able to touch my anointed ones. How does that make sense? We were just under captivity. Right, people might look at this and say, well, this is inaccurate. Verse 21 says that he permitted no harm to them. No one was able to oppress them. But you look at the the people that were held captive under Babylon. Even before then, you would look at the the people of God that were under the oppression of the Egyptians. Right? They were held captive and slaves to them. How can an oppressive Pharaoh, for example, um, be no wrong to the people of Israel? That, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, that's not good. However, in the longer view of seeing God's good work, even through such painful times, David can truthfully say he permitted no man to do them wrong. Sometimes we can be like that. A lot of the times, and I'm guilty of this, uh, I, I fail to see the bigger picture because I'm so caught up in and what's in front of me. I can't see past the tree that stands in my way and see the forest that lies behind it. Right? I was just in several different planes, and I, and I went to go see my favorite sports team, my favorite soccer team, and I went to the stadium. and The stadium's huge, immense, and yet when I was in the plane, I was looking like crazy to try to find it. It was so small in comparison, I couldn't see it. I, I couldn't find it. And yet when I'm standing face to face with it, it seems like the the biggest thing in the world. And yet when I'm standing above it all and I have a clear picture of what's going on, it's just this tiny little detail in the full grand scheme of things. And yet we get so caught up with what's right in front of us that we can't see what God is doing. That happens to me and I'm sure that happens with you. A lot of the times our timing is in the region of God's timing, but it's not exactly on the same schedule as his. We get caught up with what's going on in front of us. These trees, they block our view. It's maybe the stresses that are going on in your life right now, the struggles, the sin, whatever it is. Things that are impeding you from being able to see what lies behind. But if we have the right perspective, if we can take uh, a, a step back or trust God through those times Trust me, when you have a full picture of things, you can see how God is working, how he is faithful. Even when we do feel like we have been oppressed, God has been protecting us all along, as he did with these people. They remembered who he was, they remembered what his promises were, but they also remembered what he had done, what he was doing, and what he was going to do, what that meant. Two more things here, I'm gonna close really quick. They were called to share as well and this goes back to verse 8 but verse 23 sing to the lord all the earth tell of his salvation day to day declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the people again true worship and thanksgiving is not just the act of thanking god but it's telling of his greatness to all people verse 25 for great is the lord and greatly to be praised And he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. David is imploring him to tell everyone of the greatness of God and his superiority over all of these gods. The God of the Bible, here's a quote from Henry Morris, he says, is not merely one among many gods who are worshipped by pagans as the host of heaven. The one true God, the God of creation, made these heavens in all of their hosts. Verse 28, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name, bring an offspring, and and come before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. The reason for his superiority is simple. All the gods of the peoples are idle, but the Lord God made the heavens. The covenant God of Israel is real and the creator of all things in contrast to mere statutes made by man for other nations. Not only do we worship him, but all creation worships God. All creation joins in here at this point in verse 31. He says, let the heavens be glad and let their earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and, fill, and all that fills it and let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. Creation itself praises God and the beauty and the power and the skill and majesty of creation is a testimony of praise to its creator. And so they sing, oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And eventually after all this, after uh, they identify the fact that they need to remember God in thanksgiving, they need to share God as well. They finally then get to a place where they can ask which is so often what we just skip to. We forget to glorify God, we forget to thank him, we forget to share who he is and what he has done for us, and we just skip to this part, to ask God. But here we see a great model, and example of worship. Following all the praise and thanksgiving, after we have shared and proclaimed his goodness and his greatness, then we see a humble request. Only now do we see this humble request in verse 35. After several different verses of praise and thanksgiving, we get to this point. Say also, save us, O God, for salvation. And gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to the holy name and glory in your praise. The praise comes before the petitioning. Whatever it is that you might be going through, Today, whatever is going on around in the, in the world around us, but politically, culturally, or economically, whatever your present circumstances are—things that might be robbing you of joy, things that might be stealing um, your happiness, or even a feeling of thanksgiving—the truth is this: we have the most reason to be thankful and grateful than anybody else, as children of God, as sons and daughters of God. He has chosen you. And the circumstances that you're in, they might stink, but they are temporary. They don't last. One day we get to be with him. And until then, God has chosen you and protected you and will protect you. And the exiles, the people that have now left Adalon, they needed this reminder. That's why he points back to this psalm. That's why he points back to this amazing day because the same Joy that they had is the one that they needed to be reminded of at that time. In a very low point in their lives where things seemed bleak, hopeless, they needed to be reminded of how good and faithful God was. So they get to a place where they can have Thanksgiving. They can rejoice and give praise to God. Despite their circumstances and the current reality that they were in, they didn't want things to be they were, they could trust God because he has not changed and neither have his promises. Verse 36, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all people said amen and praise the Lord. The question I have for you is will you say amen to these things as well? Will you agree? And that's what amen means. Amen is not just something that you say at the end of a prayer and kind of just throw it around. It doesn't mean anything. People, people that are Christians just use that word. No, it means to be in agreement with, to stand with, and, and, and say, so be it. To everything that was said before, so be it. I believe those things. Will you say amen to these things? Will you remember when Thanksgiving comes around? And not just Thanksgiving, not just that day, but as you move on from this day, will you remember what God has done in your life? who he is and what he is uh, doing for you, not only today, but what he has done before and what he will do, the promises he has made for you. Jesus, his son, the covenant he has with you. you. Will you also share faithfully of his greatness and will you ask him humbly in the right place at the right time after you've asked, after you've praised, after you've worshiped, then ask. Don't just skip to that part. Remember who he is especially on Thursday when you're celebrating with your family. Take time to remember all the good things that he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this time. Thank you for this day. I pray that you bless um, these students as they leave here this morning, as they head back to their homes, and this week as they enjoy the time off with family, uh, that they would remember how good and grateful uh, you are and how, how, how you've blessed us and how you continue to protect us and provide for us, even, Lord, when we can't see it or understand it. Pray that we would be um, full of praise and thanksgiving, Lord, but not just on this one specific day, but um, be full of that each and every day, Lord, understanding that you are a great and good God, a merciful God. And we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, good morning and citizens. Hope you guys have a great day.